Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I'm Eric Acker, the host with Karen. Hey guys. Uh, we are, let's see, I just want to go over I guess, what we've done this week and uh, hit a topic that was recommended by somebody, so we will try to hit on both of these things but we are i guess as far as the biggest news this week we are no longer well we we are homeowners again once again (laughs) it's relatively on topic for the topic for later but uh friday we successfully traveled down to fayetteville up to fayetteville over over (laughs) i don't know it's like north north east of here um took our youngest with us and she did okay. She did uh, mostly though. Signed our papers, which took about 11 minutes of our life, and then proceeded to try to complete all the other errands that we had scheduled very slowly. Yes. Well, just the one very slowly. Everything else went super quick. Um, yeah, the storage unit, we couldn't get ac- We weren't able to get access to right away. We had to call a few people. We were taking care of other errands while they called us back, and so we drove back and forth a bunch of times. And then we didn't have the correct lock for the storage unit and so we took care of all that (laughs) um caring at the sea fayetteville for the first time and the house for For the first first time time, so So, thoughts pretty happy back of a neighborhood half acre lot seems fairly quiet so pretty happy i mean it's not our forever home She's a, she's alluded to. I might be able to get a chainsaw, so I'm pretty happy about this. <laughs> <laughs> I've alluded to lots of things, yes. um, but there's a tree fairly close to the home, so um, just for uh, protection for the roof, it might behoove us to trim it back a little bit. And since he's already going to get on the roof, anyways, to replace a missing shingle, chainsaw. We'll see. <laughs> uh, let's not kill ourselves before residency actually starts. But yeah, there's a few things that we are wanting to get done with the home probably before Eric starts, um, but not nothing too drastic. So yeah, there's a few things. But we we signed the papers and we officially own the home. Um, we traveled back. We got home. I don't know about eight nine o'clock at night. We leave the babysitter and yeah, crashed. Crashed, yeah. And now we've been dealing with some kids that have been a little sick. And what else have we done? I, oh yeah, I went up. I went up and got carrying a table. We got rid of the table that we had, and I was very relieved because it meant I don't have to drag this table up to Fayetteville anymore. And I we can buy a table later. And um, I made the mistake possibly to tell Karen that she can go ahead and look for a table now since the closing costs weren't what we expected them to be. They were lower. And so she found a table. So <laughs> <laughs> so I spent yesterday, find, Monday, finding, uh, getting the table and bringing it back. It's still in boxes. It's brand new. It's a, it's 
one from Ikea that I had seen a while ago, and the cost was significantly higher last time I looked at it. I actually had found a used one in Fayetteville and was showing it to him, and then in the pictures of the used one, it had like the brand new price, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so then I went to the website and was like, oh, it makes no sense to drive to Fayetteville to buy this table that's already put together when they're basically selling it at cost and we get a brand new one out of the box. Yep, and we just have to find chairs. We chairs and bench, chairs. but we can either build or find or something. That's, uh, that's another day's project. Yes. And, of course, assembly is another day's project. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> we have a folding table. It works great for now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's, uh, I think, essentially the biggest news we have. We, we, we had to say goodbye to a friend of ours recently. They... They they traveled off to Denver, um, so we're gonna miss them a lot. And then another friend oh, as part of the trip to uh, to get the table, we went and uploaded at one of the houses with them as uh, did as they did the inspection. So that was kind of fun being on the inspection side of things. That didn't really matter what I thought, <laughs> what I saw. It was. Uh, just kind of nice to kind of look it over and just kind of like, oh yes, this is, I've been through a couple of inspe- a few inspections now, so I'm just going to look at things that I want to look at and ask questions I want to ask, and it was it was informative. I don't think they bought that house; they have a different house that they have they're under contract with now, which I know it was like 24 hours later. They are no longer looking at the house we got inspected, so. Which tells changed. you how the inspection went. Yeah, <laughs> some, some troubling, not 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 terrible, but certainly stuff that you would would, would have wanted to get fixed. Anywho, um, yeah, uh, go ahead. So we kind of just wanted to talk about this process because if if you are going into residency, you will qualify for a professional loan. Um, Whether you can afford to buy a house with that professional loan is a different question. Right. So if you, so most traditional loans, FHA, USDA, uh, just conventional conventional loans, all kind of base what you qualify for off of what you've earned over the last however many years. How much you're currently earning, and then your employment history. Right. So typically that would, um, unless you have a spouse that's working, you would not qualify for those loans, which is where the professional loan comes in. Um, you qualify based off of your contract. Um, or in like Eric's case, we did not have a contract. We signed the contract, um, but the residency provided a letter to all the residents basically stating that, um, this is what they are earning. And this is the letter that is how do they state it? It's basically this is the letter that all lenders and um, rental properties should use as their income. Right. So that was something nice um, that this the um, residency program did. So we had that at the very beginning before. So if we would have started the process earlier, we would have had it, and it wouldn't have mattered whether or not we had a signed contract or not because we had that piece of paper. So, um, your. What you qualify for basically is a base amount, from what I understand. Everybody that we've talked to qualified for the same amount, unless their spouse was working and bringing in an income. Or they had a different, another contract with a military uh, military contract or something like that. So, um, for the most part, um, well... 
Well, so let's break down a little bit differently. Yep. Um, I'm getting ahead. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Uh, so you, you're talking about you. Okay, we we make this much money. You're going to go to the bank and say how much can how much will you lend to us, and they're going to give you a pre-approval amount of some number, basically some debt to credit ratio that they are currently working with the the industry standard or the I think for us it was like Fannie Mae was setting down the standards that we weren't using Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae just that was just the industry standard anywho um and that is subject to change it yeah. did change during our process but I think this this still go, kind of goes to um I don't know it's still it's still like the housing market just in general when you can and I guess I should start this off with this is not financial advice. This is kind of our experience and our opinions. So just taking that with all of a grain of salt. We're not financial advisors. We don't represent any prog- product or anything like that. So um, generally in like the conventional market, oh, FHA, USDA, the non-professional loan market, sometimes you've been working for a while, you can qualify for a lot of money, a lot, a lot of home. <laughs> essentially they could be like oh you you qualify for three hundred thousand um, dollars so I guess what what are your thoughts with as far as what should you actually look for should you just go for the house that should you start looking at the houses that are about at your pre-approval amount or should you be looking at something different so no <laughs> <laughs> no um, <laughs> n- n- none of the options so <laughs> the way we approached it it was we know we are going to be earning more than what we have lived off of this last year. However, we also know that um, there we would like to pay down our loans. Our family has grown by one extra person. Um, we also will start... Um, Eric will be... There's just different um, financial obligations that we may or may not have, and so we want to give ourselves a cushion. That being said, we took what we currently pay for rent. We tried to use that as a guide for, okay, we can afford anything within a couple hundred dollars from what we currently are paying now and still be fine. Um, And then we um, worked that out into what our final, this is the maximum house that we can get. This is the minimum or well, there wasn't really a minimum, to be quite honest. We we were trying to get a house <laughs> you want as to try cheap to as pay possible. As little as you want, yeah. So that, um, because realistically speaking, this is a residency. Would we like to stay in North Carolina? We don't know. We've never lived in North Carolina. We may end up in North Carolina, and that would be fine. Um, but as of right now, we are viewing this home as we are going to be there for three years. We feel comfortable buying a home in North Carolina because... There, it is a military town, so houses do get bought and sold fairly frequently. And at this price point, we feel pretty comfortable that if we were to move, we would be able to sell the house at this price point, if not more, depending on what the market does. So we we figure we would not be upside down on the house. Whereas if you were in a market like Washington or Arizona. Atlanta, other cities that don't have the same push poles. Yeah, or that their houses are inflated. Like you look, so we have a three-bedroom, two-bath home with a bonus room mm-hmm. that's about 1,800 square feet. That same house in Arizona 
could cost you upwards of half a million dollars. This house is not worth half half a million dollars. Yeah, I think my parents' place, um, even though we did we did do a remodel on it while we were growing up, it ended up being close to sixteen hundred sixteen yeah six hundred square feet, and they sold that for about four hundred thousand dollars or so. Uh, I mean, it, it was quite a bit of money, and, and it was. A- older home and it was it was built in like the 1960s 70s era um i mean we did some updates and whatnot but it, um you know that same home here or north carolina is significantly less money so yes so kind of just look at the market and if it, it is nicer to own if you can however you don't want to purchase something and then turn around in three to five years, depending on your residency and not be able to sell the house for what you paid for it to be upside down on it. The goal is to, um, if you have to move, you sell it for the same price you bought it for or more. Right. Um, and that just kind of depends on the market yeah, and the area. I will say we got very lucky with our first home. We were able to sell that for more than what we paid for it. And that was great. It helped us Pay down all my uh, pay down all the loans debt. and have a good cushion when we left for medical school, but um, that's not always the case. <laughs> um, and then two, for the singles out there, it might benefit you if you can connect with other residents early on in the process. You could buy a home, rent out rooms. It could be a resident house. It pays for your mortgage. And then when you're done, you can either continue to rent to future residents or you can sell. And you will not have lost anything, but you will have gained. Yeah, there's some some benefits. So there there are some benefits. Um, We obviously chose to buy because of those those reasons. And then also it's just nicer. (laughs) And so with the... The position loan, I think, you, so you mentioned already, like, the different, like, more conventional. Like there's the conventional loan, the USDA, there's the FHA, there's the VA, uh, if you're in a military background, and then uh, the professional loan. Uh, all these loans have the kind of same sort of uh, opportunities where they offer interest rates. Um, so a lot, a lot of the ones, especially in the more uh, conventional markets, so the, the first ones I mentioned, you tend to want to get the fixed interest rate. Uh, everyone's heard of the, the 30-year mortgage. Uh, of course, some people will go for the 15-year mortgage. It, of course, has a higher uh, monthly payment, but maybe maybe less interest. Um, but you are looking at, generally, people want to get the fixed interest rate. And that makes sense because you plan to live in this house for any particular amount of time. You don't want the interest rate fluctuating. You don't want your monthly payment going crazy. You want to have stability. You want to know, I am paying this much a month, and the only thing I have to worry about changing is my insurance policy on the house that goes up or down, and the city taxes or county taxes that will get paid uh, biannually or annually, depending on where, you, where you're at. So those are the only things that you really want to have changing. You don't really want to be month to month or every every six months or whatever it is seeing a different interest rate that causes your monthly payment to go up. And uh, that can be a problem, especially if you don't have uh, income that is moving up. It doesn't have a lot of upward mo- mo- movement like in residency. You know your contract has you doing 
what you make a, for that year, and you might get a pay raise next year. Uh, and then oftentimes you're not allowed to moonlight until your second or third year, so you know you're not going to be able to really increase your earning potential. So you don't really want you want things to be fixed. You want things to be as stable as possible so that you can manage your budget. That's my opinion. That makes I think to me that makes sense. However, with the professional loan, um, generally speaking, adjustable interest rates. Uh, and this is a very general thought. This is the, the generally they start out a little bit lower. So the general idea is that you get a lower interest rate, which is kind of what's appealing. And then as the market changes, the interest rate can go up or down. Um, right now, of course, we're looking at how the, the federal government is increasing interest rates, which does affect the real estate market interest. So uh, generally speaking, if the interest rates go up in the Fed, the interest rates are probably going to go up on your on your loan. However, with the professional loan, and I don't know how it works in outside the professional loan, so I'm not going to speak to that. They will give you ba- what's basically adjustable. You have the option for a fixed interest rate, and it's relatively high. Yes. Um, you can have the adjustable interest rate fixed for eight years. Uh, well, no, so it's um, three, five, and seven. So the different denominations, and after those uh, periods are end, so after three years, interest rate goes up on that one. After five years, your interest rate can fluctuate, and after seven, depending on which one you pick. And so I think we picked seven, and I think in Florida, that's probably the best interest rate we could find. Uh, so for seven years, our interest rate is fixed. Uh, and the, the basic reasoning behind it is, and the, bank, and the banks knows this as well, that, well, we're residents, we're we're going to work at this residency for, you know, this is an internal medicine residency, so three years. So I'm going to work for three years at the resident salary, and I will have a fixed interest rate for those three years. If I do a fellowship in the area, add on another two years, so I'm up to five. Add on another special a fellowship if you do anything more than the first two years. So let's say I do cardiology, then I go to interventional cards, you might be up to six or seven years. So you're getting at the end of it. You're still making like PGY five and six salary towards the end there, which is better than PGY one, but not, not great. Um, but they know that by the end of your residency, by the end of your fellowship, you're going to get a job. You're going to get uh, a job that's going to pay very well or better than resident pay. So you're going to either move, in which case, who cares what the interest rate is because the loan's canceled out because someone bought the house? Uh, you're either going to move or you're just you're going to be a smart person and refinance that loan into something that's a fixed rate because now now you are making more money. You can either afford a, a down payment that you can look at you and go, oh, now you have uh, a solid income, so we can offer and you have income history, so you can switch the loan. Yeah, home. you can switch it for, to a conventional loan or FHA or whatever. And you can have better terms because uh, I um, let me break down a few other details here. So, uh, like a conventional loan, typically I think they ask for about twenty percent down. Uh, the FHA, I think they like about five percent down. Uh, but there, there are programs to get around it. There's grant programs. USDA does not uh, require money down, and but that's the, more I'm, rural. Yeah, that's more rural. USDA loans are for very particular 
areas. Yes. You have to look them up online. They change periodically. So, uh, and then only certain lenders work with USDA, just as, just as much as only certain lenders do professional loans. Um, and then the other thing with with all these loans is what's called um, personal mortgage insurance or PMI. I believe that's what the acronym stands for. Yeah. But it's so you get home insurance that covers your home and PMI makes you think that you're getting insurance that covers your home, but it really just covers, covers the, the, the lenders. lender. So if you default, like you put down, let's say you put down 2% on an FHA loan and use some grant programs to cover the other 3%. Well, you're only 2% in the game at that point. So they tend to think you're a higher risk. You only had 2% skin in the game. Um, so you pay your mortgage payment, your interest in principal, you pay your taxes, you pay your homeowner's insurance, uh, your home insurance, sorry, and then you pay this PMI. And the PMI is going into this insurance bank. So if you default, the lender is can be possibly bailed out based off of the defaulting. Um, so it's not for you. <laughs> it's it's like a two hundred is like a hundred to two hundred dollars a month depending on the loan size, and it doesn't. It's just money you spend. It, you don't get any benefit out of it. Like in my mind, I'm like I'm taking out a loan. I only intend to pay, make my payments. So I'm paying two hundred dollars extra a month, and it's, I think it's the same with um, most other loans like conventional. You can do other conventions that don't require. You know, if you get, I think five percent. I think most of the loans, if you can get 5% of the loan paid off, you don't have to do PMI. I believe that's how it was when we were, when we were first buying a house years and years ago. Anyway, this is extra money. That's something to consider. Um, when we did the professional loan, that was a question that we had, and we apparently do not have PMI. So the professional loan is also unique in the sense that, well, we don't have a whole lot of money, so we have almost like no down payment. We're paying closing costs, which... Don't doesn't generally affect the 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 actual principle of the loan, so we were almost like a hundred percent financing this loan. But because it's a professional loan, it's different and unique. I think they have a little bit more trust that you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a, this kind of professional. So they're not going to force you to pay PMI insurance. You're less of a risk because they have the contract seeing that you are getting paid this, this, and this for these amount of years versus someone who may get a FHA loan or USDA loan. And those are typically the loans for first-time homebuyers or people that don't have a lot of money. And... Um, they may lose their job or life happens, you know. So in this way, since you have a contract, you know that this is where this person is going to be for three years or however many years, that it's a little bit less of a risk for the bank. Yeah. So we we have the professional loan. We have the seven-year adjustable. Well, we have a seven-year fixed interest rate, but it's adjustable after seven years. And, um, of course, like with all loans, like your credit history is going to matter. So if you have not so great credit, it could end up costing you some more. Granted, though, I think the federal government did something a little weird where, um, like if you go back pre-May, you would have gotten a certain rate. 
Uh, and then after May, even with the same credit score, same history, everything, like your your rate would have been a little bit less good because uh, the federal government's doing something new, a little more unique. Um, you know, that's how that's how the government works. Um, and the government can have some kind of control over lending rates and whatnot. So something to keep in mind. Uh, let's see what else here. Um so that that's essentially like, so there's a whole this whole process kind of is is there's a lot of stuff it's kind of stressful in my my opinion it's, there's a lot of things going on so you you start the process like I got we got accepted into this residency program and then we immediately looked for lenders in that area that lend you know can lend towards houses professional loans for this area and just reach out to them and say, hey, we are going moving to this area. We want to get a pre-approval because in order to start looking at houses, you need to have a kind of a pre-approval um, or pre-qualification. I think they're all basically interchangeable. You need some sort of letter saying this is the amount you are pre-approved for. And they, they, it's a very, very um, bare minimum. Like It's like punching in a few numbers into... Um, a quote machine for auto insurance, you know, like they'll give you a quote, but like sometimes you have to go a little bit further and more, more in depth in order to actually get the full quote. So your the pre-approval is just very simply, how much money are you going to make? What's your credit score? What's your credit history? Cause they do run a credit check on you. Okay. Based off of all that. Oh, and also, like, do you have any outstanding loans that need to be paid on, like, or like that you don't need to pay on during this time period? And then they'll give you, like, okay, you're pre-approved for this amount. I think for us, I don't think it really matters, but two hundred fifty thousand dollars was what we were pre-approved for, which is, I think, worked out actually well with our monthly payment that we were aiming for. Yeah, originally it was two seventy-five, but then there was a change in the Cre- uh, debt to credit ratio that. That the that, that I was kind of alluding to, I think it was like forty five percent debt to credit uh, income to debt ratio or something like that, and they changed from forty five to forty three is what I was told. Uh, Fannie Mae did anyway, and so therefore all the other lenders adjusted downwards as well. Yeah. So we went from a seventy five a two seventy five to a two fifty, which is fine because that was around the area when we had first talk that was about the price point that we wanted to be at for the monthly payment that we wanted to pay. Um, so those were already the homes that we were looking at. But with that price point in today's market, houses go very, very quickly. So there was a point in time <laughs> about a couple weeks in where we had put in several offers and uh, got being outbid, beaten out by everybody. Um, and Eric was very discouraged. <laughs> it's like, well, we should start looking at apartments or places to rent because we're never going to find a house before we start but at we this got, rate. We, we are very blessed. We got very lucky, I think. Yeah. So you, you, you do set the, I think the, you can do these two steps interchangeably, but I think getting the pre-approval and then reaching out to a realtor. We... We, we don't know anything about this area, so we reached out to the program director because he sent an email saying, hey, any questions at all about realtors or anything like that, reach out to me. So I did. He gave me a name of a realtor that he used, that he trusted, uh, and who's been, quite honestly, was really good for us, helped us out quite a bit, and it was, was, great, was a great resource for us. 
Uh, so I think this is one of those networking situations where you try to find people that you uh, hope you can trust and get, they can give you people that like realtors that can help show you around. Cause I, I cause realtors are kind of functioning, I think in two or three different ways. So they're there to let you into a house. That's the primary function. They're there to open the door and let you into the house because a lot of houses, these houses have lock boxes and they have codes and whatnot. And they, they'll do the, the talking to the sellers and, you know, figuring out what time you can come by and look at it, etc. So they're there to kind of the gatekeepers to get you into the house. I think there are ways you can do it without a realtor. I'm, I'm not savvy enough to do it. I just prefer just use a realtor. Um, the other function that they that they serve is to kind of educate you. Uh, I think a good realtor is going to look at things and talk to you about like what what areas are good areas, especially if you've never lived there before. What areas of the city are bad areas that you don't want to live? What you should be looking for? What's unique to the area? Um, and then of course, like looking at the house, like is the build of the house good, or you know what 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 are some things that they've seen that could be things that you want to consider. Um, and then of course their, their third function is like when you, when you think you found a house, they're there to draw up the papers and contracts. And they're, they're kind of also there to talk you about into, talk to you about how do you get the best, um, what am I, the, basically the bar, the best bang for your buck, but also best not, chances of getting the house. Yeah. Like, not losing the sale but still getting what you want out of the house. Yeah, like how do you negotiate this? Like you want to get it as cheap as you can, but if you if you basically lowball someone, like let's say you look at a house, you know, $20,000 off the asking price, like especially in our in our area, like when we're at 250 or lower, like it's competitive. <laughs> it's, yeah. There's a lot of military families and people out there who are in that ball, ball ballpark and you know, if we say, oh, take $20,000 off the house, like, they're going to be like, well, forget about you. I got 10 other offers I can entertain. Yes. And he's saying $20,000 off the house. But ironically enough, we did put an offer in on a house, and at, we asked for about $20,000 worth of credit. Granted, this house had broken windows. It had... Smelled like it cat pee. smelled like cat pee, which means you have to worry about all the carpet, all of the padding, all the subfloor, and replace all of it. And um, it right. had some... Like the fence was the broken. The fence was broken. Other things. Yeah. So we, the seller w stated in the posting that they would give, be willing to give credits. They were not going to fix anything in the house. So we offered them their full price with $20,000 worth of credit to fix everything. And we priced it out. But it's good to point out. So credit is essentially saying, let's say we're we offered to buy the house at two fifty, and we asked for twenty thousand dollars in credit, which that basically means we're still buying the house at two fifty. The financed amount principal is two fifty, but twenty thousand dollars of that two fifty, instead of going to the sellers, let's assume they own the house outright, instead of them getting two hundred fifty thousand dollars out of the sale, they would get two thirty. And twenty thousand dollars would be held oh, by the bank, and they would pay contractors to do the work to fix up the house. So we don't get the money ourselves; they don't get the money. Um, that's essentially how that kind of works. That's how we were informed. Again, having a realtor that can talk you through that and like 
talk to you about how you negotiate these deals because you can have realtors in my opinion and in my experience that will try to sell you on the first house you walk into they will try to convince you that um for lack of a least articulate a piece of tur- a turd is actual gold and because they some realtors really do just want to turn houses they want to they want to get people into houses and they want to get a bunch because they they make money off these places things yeah. uh, but a good realtor i think and what, what we had as well i think he was he was a good realtor uh, they're willing to work with you they're willing to kind of keep looking at house until you find the one that you like so we we so in our lifetime buying two homes we have had four realtors we had one for this house and we liked him uh, we had three for our first house the first realtor we worked with his license lapsed. We liked he, him. He was great. He was he great. Just, we, went, we got into a short sale. That lasted forever. And we ended up withdrawing the offer. And ironically, it sold for less than what we offered for it. But such that's, that's a bank thing. That's a bank thing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> our second realtor that we had in our first home, he was very frustrated with us. <laughs> and you could understand that he was frustrated with us uh, because we were not willing to go over our price point. We had set a price point for what we wanted to pay for a home and what we thought we could afford as a monthly payment, and we weren't going to go over it. And so uh, we were entertaining fixer-uppers, but we stuff that we could do ourselves, and we weren't going to go over on that as well. And so at some point during the process, he brought along his wife, who was also a realtor, and she was very much trying to sell us a home. Um and almost bullying. And so at that point, we kind of were second guessing it. And then um, we, he would respond to us by email for several things. And uh, we had made an offer on one house and he had forwarded an email from, of correspondence between him and the seller's agent. And he essentially had said in one of his previous messages that he could get, he could talk us into going up 10 or $20,000 more. Which that I mean, your your real estate agent should be advocating for you, not advocating for more money in his pocket, because he does get a percentage of the sale. So at that point, we weren't going to work with him anymore. We kind of just ghosted him and found another one, which we really should have just told him he was fired. But I mean, we were significantly younger then, <laughs> and I, we I, didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we just we went with somebody that our our friends had worked with, and um ended up going the USDA loan route and getting a house farther out. In doing so, we ironically enough, we did afford a home that was at a price point higher, but we still had the same mortgage that or the same pay, monthly payment that we wanted. Yeah. And so if he would have offered us those options, he would have still gotten a higher percentage, but um, and we got a, a house that was brand new that we, nobody lived in. Right, right. <laughs> but I do like our last realtor that we had because when we were walking around homes, he was like, okay, it's the Pacific Northwest. Um, you have, like, just check the siding towards the bottom. Make sure it's not squishy, that you're not going to have to replace the siding. And he'd go around and, like, poke at it with his keys just to see. And he pointed out several things, like, this area has... The poly, poly, 
poly oh, polybutylene something like there's like a different there, type of plumbing that, a different type of plumbing that was only used for like three years before they figured out that it was crap plumbing like and it froze and burst and it burst and if you had a two-story home it was significant damage and we're like oh okay we it's good to know to avoid these three neighborhoods in this part of town because they all have that type of plumbing so just things that you wouldn't know as a first-time home buyer and the same thing in North Carolina where well this area is super windy so you're gonna have to budget for replacing the roof every now and then <laughs> replacing the roof or replacing shingles uh, termites are a big deal in North Carolina they are in Georgia as well so uh, you're gonna have to treat it so it makes a difference if you have a slab home versus a home with a crawl space um, and so just things like that. You want your realtor to have some knowledge of the area and educate you. Same thing goes with an inspector. So once you get your loan, you get pre-approved, you go under contract with a house. Then you have your two weeks of due diligence where you do your home inspection. Um, you do... You do home inspection, appraisal. Um, if the home inspection came up with anything extra, you have to try to get those in as well. Um yeah, essentially, yeah, you're, yeah. Cause like for in our situation, we had a home inspection. Uh, the home inspector noted that the HVAC system may not be as efficient as it should be, and so he recommended that we get a HVAC inspection. So we did. We basically went back to the sellers and said we would like to get an HVAC inspection. If there's anything wrong, we would like you guys to fix it and service the HVAC system, which I think is not unreasonable. I think that's generally a rule of thumb for a lot of places. So we paid for the H, uh, HVAC inspection. They paid for the cleaning. There wasn't anything apparently wrong with the system, so no. it just needed to be cleaned and serviced. So they did all that. Um, there was a septic tank on the prop. We had a septic, we have a septic system, uh, and so that was also brought up, and like, oh, we should get that inspected, so we did. Um, so we do all that during the due diligence period. Um, and of course, once you're under contract, you're now going back to your lender and saying, now we're under contract. And that's when they start kind of doing that deep dive into your finances. They, they get all your bank statements. They get, um, all your history. And for the professional loan, I had to upload diploma, I had to upload transcripts. I had to, um, had to account for like the last four years of, of like what I, I think I what a CV which showed my, which is kind of weird, but uh, it showed I was in school for the last few years. Um, I think if any reason I, I had worked, I would have had to provide W2s. Uh, basically, and, and then of course now if Karen was on the, you know, being a part of the loan and working, Karen would have had to also uh, provide all these things. Yeah, she would have had to provide W. I am on the title to the house. I'm just not on the loan. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I don't want people listening being like, well, I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, you have good, great credit, but you don't have any income. Yeah, so. I have no income. <laughs> so it's not, it's kind of a, it doesn't a hurt point. us, doesn't help us. So it just would have created extra paperwork. Um, yeah. Um, I will say with the professional loan, it was significantly less paperwork than our first yes home. there was a, definitely a lot and then some like the fha i think required like classes that you go to um so like this one doesn't require any of that uh so yeah you, you start giving like, kind of all the documents that's where the underwriters are going to look over everything 
Uh, there's a discrepancy. Like in this case, our house is on the border of Fayetteville and Rayford, and so some addresses would say Rayford, some would say Fayetteville, and so the underwriters were like, "This all has to be the same." So which is it? So we had to figure that out, and then we had a few, um, like for our current house where we live, we have different accounts opened up um, over the phone, and you know. Depends on how they wrote out our address because, like, our address has like three words in the street name, and depending on how they wrote that out, it showed slightly different on the credit history. So they had to, the document. They combine words They'd or be whatever, like yeah. these are all the same place. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing too crazy. But you know, that's just, that's just kind of what they're doing. They're going through everything with a fine tooth comb. Um, and so that, again, this is a real estate market. It feels very much like a network. Uh, entity. I think if you were very savvy, you had your own inspector that you knew of, you had all these people you know of, uh, lawyers and whatnot, you could probably navigate it possibly cheaper, possibly better. I don't know. But like, if you get a good realtor, your realtor generally recommends you to the inspector. Yeah. The inspection and is it, not technically required by the loan, but it's just a smart thing to do. Yes. The appraisal is required by the loan. Yes. I would always get your home inspected because then you can go back to the seller and be like, "This is, these are things that are wrong. Or please, need to be fixed. Please <laughs> fix them or give us a credit so that we can fix them. Otherwise, you will end up coming into your home and finding that, oh, the stove doesn't actually heat to whatever temperature it does, so all my food is getting the lights don't work. There's, yeah. it, there's a short somewhere. Yeah, so I need to hire an electrician or I need to get a new stove. And you just kind of adding charges onto an already expensive venture, right? Um, and I will say not all inspectors are equal. They all have the same checklist. However... Eh, they have their own checklist. Well, okay. But... In general, they check all the same things. So, but they just check them differently. So, or, like, well, not at all. <laughs> okay. Well, so is is what I, I guess I'll, I'll point out. So, um, I don't even remember our first house inspection. To be completely honest, so I'm not even going to touch on that. Yeah. Um. So, when we had our current house that we just bought inspected, I I was very impressed with our inspector. He he went through everything. He took lots of pictures. Wrote lots of notes. He, you know, he went through everything with a fine-tooth comb. He did, he did the home inspection, and in North Carolina, since we have bugs, he did the termite and infestation inspection as well, So, which is important. You know, areas that you can possibly have termites, you probably should want to make sure that they haven't eaten your home out. Um, so he's going through everything with a fine-tooth comb, and he's talking me through everything. Anytime, anytime I have a question, he's happy to answer the question. Um, he goes into the house. He takes note of what the ambient temperature is outside. He kicks on the AC system. And based off of like the ambient outside temperature, which is what the system is pulling the air to cool it down and force it into the house, there's a certain number of degrees drop in temperature you're supposed to be able to get. And he's noting what the interior temperature is, what, when the AC is on. After a certain amount of time, what does it actually get to that number? That's how he's kind of determining if the AC system is working appropriately. Um, he's checking the oven. He's checking the stoves. Uh, the only thing I would say he didn't check, um, and we had we had a septic system that we got checked, so I think we got ourselves covered there, was when we first 
when we sold our first home, that inspector, the, the buyers that bought our home, they actually put a snake with a camera down our sewer lines. Which was bad news for us, because we figured with a brand new home, no problem. But apparently things shifted, and there was a, a little bit of a dip in the sewer line that they call a sewer belly, and that's like a $3,000 deal to basically dig it out, straighten it out. And it was a line that was going to the road. So it was, <laughs> it was our responsibility. You know, it's, a, it's not the city's deal. And, but I've yet to see a single inspector. Like, our inspector didn't do anything like that. We did, again, we did have a septic inspection. Um, the inspector I saw, we, when I went up with, to Atlanta area, he didn't do anything like that. He just noted, oh, the sewer, the sewer lines seem to be working just fine. Which, I don't know, you just run water and they drain. I guess that means that the sewer lines ran just fine. But, uh, I mean, there's a difference. So, like, our inspector took a temperature, the temperature of the one the I, oven I was in Atlanta. He didn't do it. He didn't do anything. He just like, okay, it's pretty cold in here. Yeah, and the oven turned on. It feels like it heated up. Um, I know with our first home inspection, they actually turned the dishwasher on and ran a full cycle while they were doing it. Yeah, I've seen that actually in all the, all the inspections so far. So that's pretty. Um, they're just they're not all the same. Um, so if it's your first time, just be aware, ask lots of questions, and if you feel like something isn't checked to what you want it to be checked to, ask them to be more thorough. I mean, it's not going to hurt because you're paying them. It's coming out of your pocket. I would definitely recommend going out with them and walking around with them. And hopefully your realtor has directed you towards a good one or one that's receptive. Uh, Sometimes I feel like they're kind of an extension of the realtor. I I definitely felt like the one I saw recently that wasn't ours. Uh, I, I got the feeling that he was doing a good job, but I also felt like he was also tr- still trying to sell the house at the same time. So I thought that was a little weird in my mind. Like, in my mind, your job is just to tell me what's wrong with the house. Or give me advice on, like, they would tell you, like, oh, this is... Because uh, a lot of these inspectors used to be construction workers. Uh, they used to work in the industry, so they kind of know what uh, construction work uh, home builders try to do and get away with or not, don't get away with and how things are built. If you can't find something here where you might find it like a um, a special plug, a G- GFC, something, another plug, um, it's in the bathroom. If you don't find it in one spot, where can you find it somewhere else? So uh, they usually have a lot of knowledge as, as far as building codes and what's normal, what's abnormal. Uh, so a lot of them can be really good. But again, it, it, real, real estate <laughs> sales and whatnot is very much... Uh, a network uh, once you kind of get plugged into one network they kind of direct you towards the people they've worked with and who they like to work who they with. like to work with um, and hopefully you get hopefully you get you good, good. good. <laughs> so like that's why it's like it kind of important to start off with a good realtor <laughs> if you start off with a good realtor they can hopefully direct you to people that they like working with that are also very good because uh, people do build reputations in the communities uh, I'm, I don't know enough about the inner workings of real estate to know if there's like a little kickbacks or anything like that. I hope not, but um, it is what it is. Um, what else? So we talked about 
You're looking at houses using the realtor. Once you go into contract, making the offer. Um, oh, I should probably, we should back up just a little bit. Um, making the offer. So a couple of components to the offer. Of course, the biggest component is the the price. Like how much are you, how much are you offering to buy the house for? Um, the next, I think the next biggest component is what are the terms? Are you saying we would like to close on this date or we would like to... Um, we'll give you the full asking price, but we need you to pay for the closing costs because uh, your loan, so as much as you are going through this process and the lender is giving you, in, us, in our case, like $250,000, in order to close the house, so to transfer the title, do all the due diligence to make sure uh, the house's titles are intact, no one's stolen it, the people who are selling you the house actually have rights to sell you the house, blah, 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 uh, recording it in the city, etc. There's lawyers involved, there's inspectors, there's other people involved, and it all costs money. <laughs> and so your closing costs are completely separate from the, the, the financing bit. And you can't, gen USDA can, uh, no, no, you can't, sorry, closing costs are just completely separate from the financing. And generally speaking, anything that you pay towards the closing, I believe you should not use credit to pay for. You cannot use you credit. You cannot for. use credit to pay for. You so cannot like, go into more debt in order to buy, buy debt. To get, get more debt. Yeah, so like when we, when we paid for the appraiser to come out, we had to make sure we paid him uh, from our, our debit card and not a credit card. Um, so something to keep in mind. So like, But closing costs are significant. So... I so think for you, like our loan, it was about $8,000. Yeah, so that's $8,000. And the buyer is typically considered responsible for the closing costs. There are ways to get around it. That's why the loan, the terms matter. So you can go in straight up and just say, I'm asking to buy the house at this price and, you pay, and the seller pays closing costs. Well, then now that price just changed. So... If you basically told you have eight thousand dollar in closing costs, and you just told a, a seller that basically is selling you a house at two fifty that they had to pay, it. well now they're just they're walking away with two forty two, so they're losing eight thousand dollars. So they have to see that as either this is the best chance we are to get this house sold, and it's a trick because you want to be able to basically be competitive. You want to make an offer that actually seems reasonable. And some people will up the price a little bit and go, oh, well, maybe we'll make it 258 and you pay closing costs. Which is basically a way to finance your closing costs. Yeah, it's, it's a weird way. To, it's actually perfectly fine to do that. However, if the house doesn't appraise at 258 You're on you, the hook for the extra. You could be on the hook for it or the deal could be off. So right. something to be aware of um so you can't just blow up blow the number out of proportion if the appraisal doesn't come back at or above what you offered you can't you can't finance house unless you're going to pay in cash yeah. so closing costs is something to keep in mind because that's uh, if you have a good lender they'll talk you through the cost sheet and talk you through like this is how much money you're going to need at closing to close on this house if you don't have it like you don't really want to show up at closing and be like, great, I just signed a bunch of papers and I get the house, right? And they're like, yeah, it was the $8,000. Like that would be, uh, that, could, that could be a problem. Um, 
I know we're getting a little bit long. So, <laughs> well, so the other thing is, is when you are first submitting your offer, if you have a good realtor, they should be giving you comps for houses that have sold in that area within the last three to six months. So you know what the market is in that area and what is a reasonable offer and what is not. Uh, yeah. So you don't offer too high or offer too low. You kind of have a gauge of where you should hit and what is a reasonable offer. And then from there you can add closing costs or you can say, like if you if you automatically from your tour know that, oh, this house needs a new roof, you can add that into your contract then, or you can wait until after the inspection and then go back to the seller and ask for credits, ask for credits or, or ask for, for them, to, or for them the to fix it before you move in. So those are all things. I think we've gone a little long. <laughs> um, well, let's just wrap. We're so close to the end. We, we, can, okay. we can just wrap it up. And I know we're getting a little bit long, but um, so the deal, like the offer, of course, the seller... Uh, can accept it, reject it, or they can counter. And of course, if you have a good realtor, they'll tell you whether that's a good, um, if the counter makes sense or not. Sometimes, like if you ask for a particular closing date, the seller doesn't really want to move out of the house either quick to that quickly, or you know they'll ask like, okay, we'll sell it to you at that point, but you need to rent it back to us at this price, or something like that. And in a professional loan. Uh, it's kind of hit. I don't, it's kind of iffy whether that's a rent back is something that we can do in professional loans. So that's something to chat with your your lender about. Um, as far as um, like basically you're gonna, you're gonna get counter offers. They could basically flat out say no. Uh, the other thing that I guess goes into the initial offer, and I kind of forgot to mention it, and I did partly because I think it's completely pointless and it's um, a relic of its time is the earnest money and the due diligence money. As part of your offer, you can basically say, uh, say start with earnest money. Say, I'll put $1,000 as earnest money with this deal. So if you accept my offer, $1,000 from my bank account will immediately go to a lawyer who will hold it until um, we're past the due diligence period or something like that. And it will, the deal goes through and then you get the money directly. I don't know. I don't really know. And due diligence is basically saying uh, there's a thousand dollars. It goes directly to the sellers. It goes from the buyer to the seller directly. No intermediary. And unless something terrible happens, you keep that money. So due diligence is a little bit more committed to the process. Uh, a little bit more motivated to kind of go through it. But in my general thought process is it's like if you're selling a house and you're going to walk away with two, I say you own the house, $250,000, $1,000 that you get today does not matter. In my mind, in my mind, like, hey, I just got to wait a month or I'll get $250,000. Like, I don't really need your 1000 now and then 249000 later. Like, I, I'm fine with the. I'm fine with the two fifty thousand. Like I'm not hurting for that thousand right now, but whatever. That that's that's a realtor. Realtors tend to like seeing that money. Um, you know, Evie's letting her presence be known. Um, so that's something that all your realtor can talk you through what they what you want to do. Oh gosh. So all the, all every step of the way, you're essentially 
you get the inspection, you look over the inspection report, you get a long laundry list of things that might need to be fixed in the house. Um, our realtor, I think, gave us good advice. You could write up everything that you found wrong, like every light switch that was had a broken plate, every blemish in the paint. Um, you could write up everything and say, I need 20 things to be fixed. And maybe three of those things are like, hey, that shingle on the roof is uh, definitely needs to be replaced because it's off. Or, um, I don't know, there could be like three things that are really important and you could have 20 things that are just like so trivial. And if you pile on too much, you could possibly have a seller that just goes, we agree to none of that. And so then you have the option of, do we back out of the deal or um, do we just you know move forward knowing that we'll get nothing? Uh, whereas you could just go, I'm just going to zoom in on the three things that are the big, most major concerns that we have. And the minor blemishes we'll take care of. That's, that's home ownership for you. You know, I, if a, a fence rail needs to be repaired, I can do that. That's home ownership. I don't need to derail my entire deal just because of a fence post. Yeah. And so for like our home, we asked for, there was a missing shingle. We asked for them to replace that. There was a chip in the tub. We asked for them to fix it. We asked for the HVAC and we asked for them to pump the septic system. And what ended up ended up happening was they said, yes, we'll check the HVAC. Yes, we'll pump, pump the septic system. Well, they, they said that it would pay for it, but the septic system didn't need to be paid for. So they said, well, do you want us to pay for someone to come out here and pump the septic system, which doesn't need to be pumped? Or do you just want the credit for yeah. when you have to do it? And, and so we took the credit. They yeah. also offered and they, they said they would do the HVAC. They said they'd just give us a credit to fix the other, the shingle and the tub. And so we took the credits and we opted to put those credits towards closing costs. So, um, all in all, we were pretty happy with who we purchased the home from. They worked with us a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. obviously we haven't talked to them, but, um, they were great with, um, communicating back and forth with our realtor and actually, uh, fixing problems that were in the home. And, um, yeah, that's not always the case. There are some homeowners who don't want to fix anything. Like case, case in point, the house I looked at yesterday, all the windows needed to basically be replaced because um, some of them had cracked, some of them had just blown out gaskets, air seeped between. And uh, he has a different offer on a different house, which tells you that that house we saw yesterday, the owners did not want to do anything. They weren't, there was like a subfloor that had been soaked by the bathrooms that needed to be replaced. And they basically said, nope, we're not doing anything. And we're, we're stuck at this price point. So you, you have different type of sellers, like Karen was saying. Yeah. All in all, though, I think we had a good process this, this go around. We liked who we worked with. And hopefully when you get to that process, you will like who you work with. <laughs> <laughs> just just ask lots of questions. Um, try to be reasonable, you know, because it's a process. Everyone's trying to f- get, figure out how to get through it. Um, there's obviously professionals that do this all the time. So you lean on their expertise. Um, don't be a crazy person. There are crazy people who, um, you know, they want the realtor to put in insane offers. They want... Um, 
they get to be a little bit more tyranny. Like, just know that there's rules that you have to kind of follow. Um, and I, I think, generally speaking, also trust that. I mean, this has been a lesson for me. Like, just trust that, you know, God's got a plan for you. You know, like, you're not going to be homeless when you get to residency. You'll figure it out. Like, you know, maybe you don't find the place you actually want. So go look at rentals. But um, if you look hard enough and, and the market's good for you, then you can probably find some place to live that's going to work for three years. You just, um, the way I looked at it was we, we wanted something that we didn't have to do a whole lot on. And I think that's what we got. Because three years of residency, at least the first year, you're going to be very busy and trying to figure everything out. You're not going to have a whole lot of time for the honeydew list to pile up <laughs> on you. So, um, I don't know. We're about about an hour into this now. <laughs> I feel like we might have answered. I, I feel like we touched the surface on this topic. And again, like we're not... We're not financial advisors or anything like that. Not like, by any means, but... Like, this is our experience. This is what we kind of learned and our best advice. Take it or leave it. Talk to somebody who... Hopefully it helps you at least understand the process and what questions you may or may not need to ask. Yeah. And then that way you kind of... When you, you're stepping into this process, like just knowing what what's around each corner. And it's not not as simple as like going... It's not as glamorous as going to a a random house looking at it and saying, I love it. And then your bank shows up the next day of a check and you move in. It's a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, really off, off the medical trail on this one, but <laughs> we are, um, med family MD is the Instagram for Karen. Um, follow us on any of the major podcasting platforms. If you'd like any questions, of course, ask Karen, any topics you would like us to talk about. Um, Send that to Instagram and Karen will, we can chat about it. Uh, Anyway, you guys have a good rest of your week and we will talk to you next week. Bye.